Good morning again. Our scripture reading for this morning is Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 19. If you could turn there with me in your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the tables just outside the door. You should feel free to grab one of those and, uh, and use it for the service. If you don't own a Bible, you should feel free not only to grab one of those, but take it with you. Uh, Write your name in the front, keep it, and bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Uh, Before we read Galatians uh, 4, uh, let's pray together. Our Father, uh, we need you every hour as we have just sung. We need you right now. We need you in this hour. We need you in the present hour. Uh, Father, we pray that you would be with us right now and that you would pour out your spirit on us, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would hear your word, that we would understand your word, that we would believe your word, that we would trust more fully in our Savior Jesus, that we would rest in your love displayed in the cross, uh, that we would be uh, empowered by the spirit and motivated by the cross and enabled to live for you as we go out from this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Well, most Christians, I think, myself included, we, we live in the kiddie pool of grace, right? You know, we, we have our, our water wings and our swimmy diaper, and uh, we're kind of paddling around in the shallows, right? The kiddie pool of God's grace. We, we, get, we get the gospel, right? We get kind of the one-liner gospel, right? That Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and we believe that. We trust in that, and that's good, but we, we often can't go much beyond that. You know, I was listening to someone this week who uh, mentioned, yeah, we, we can summarize the gospel in a sentence, but it took God 66 books. <laughs> uh, and there's something to that, right? There's a depth, a richness to the gospel. 
We need to move out, right, and, and swim in the deep end of grace. Uh, we need to dive down deep, right, and explore the coral reefs of grace. And uh, that, that's how grace take root, takes root in our hearts as we explore its depths together. Ideals, ideas have consequences, right? Uh, that's nothing new. Uh, what you believe deep down is what shapes the way you live your life. That doesn't mean, though, that uh, because you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, suddenly you'll be the greatest, most loving, most trustworthy, most peaceful person that you know. I don't know about you, but that didn't happen to me when I became a Christian, at least not right away. Um, thank you. <laughs> we, we are, all of us, a mixed bag of beliefs, aren't we? Sometimes our confessional theology, what we say we believe, is different from our functional theology, uh, the ideas out of which we actually live our lives. What we say we believe doesn't always guide our hearts. And this is why we're constantly talking about grace. Uh, that, 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 that alone is what will cause our hearts to overflow with love and with worship. That is what will enable us to administer grace to others. And uh, our text this morning is about Paul's ministry to the Galatians. It's, uh, it's one, of the more, um, uh, one of the more autobiographical sections of the book of Galatians, right? Paul's talking about his own ministry to them, his relationship to them. And uh, what we're going to see this morning as we look at this text is we're going to see the, the goals, that the goals and the methods of Paul's ministry follow or flow out of his understanding of grace. Right? So his understanding of grace leads to a certain way of ministering to the Galatians. Our outline, which you can see in, on the back of your bulletin if you would like to turn there, our outline, we're going to talk about uh, sort of the principle, the goal, the methods, and, and our response to Paul's ministry of grace, right? So the principle of this grace-based ministry, the goal of this grace-based ministry, the methods of this grace-based ministry, and then our response to that. So first, the, the principle. Um, what, what we see in the book of Galatians, we've been studying it for a while now, is... Um, is a contrast, right? There are two different religions in the world. There is a religion of grace and a religion of works, a religion of promise and a religion of performance. And Paul had taught the Galatians when he first preached the gospel to them, he taught them about grace. He taught them about God's promise. He, he taught them uh, to believe in the Lord Jesus. But some others had come after Paul and they had begun uh, preaching something else. They had begun preaching performance. Uh, Paul uh, is speaking to, to former pagans in Galatians, and uh, he says in verse 8 that before they came to know God, they were slaves. What were they enslaved to? Well, verse 9 tells us that they were, uh, tells us that, that the weak, they were slaves to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. The weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. And uh, the, the elementary principles, uh, which we talked a little bit about last week, are these basic principles concerning how the world works. 
Um, basic principles of justice, basic principles of reward and punishment, of sowing and reaping. Uh, this is sort of cause and effect uh, in a moral universe. And uh, God says to Adam, right in the beginning, in the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Adam eats of the tree, and death comes upon humanity. Um, the, the point's not, right, that uh, if I steal a candy bar, I'm going to walk out on the street and get hit by a bus or something like that, right? Uh, but that whether in life or in death, uh, ultimately, in one way or another, uh, no bad deed will go unpunished, no good deed will go unrewarded. Now, we'll see ultimately that our bad deeds have been punished in the cross, right? Uh, so, so we don't have the fear of that punishment, but that there is a justice to the world. Right? Uh, the elementary principles, though, often lead to a religion that is actually based on performance and not grace. Right? You seek to earn God's love. You seek to earn God's blessing by being a good person. And uh, this is what we sometimes call legalism, right? Uh, we seek to use the law, we seek to use the, the legal code, right, to gain favor with God. Uh, if I, it, it can be tempting, of course, to do that. And it was so tempting for the Galatians because it's what you might call a, a biblical legalism. A biblical legalism. What do I mean by that phrase? What does that mean? Well, when Paul in, in verse 10 says that the Galatians were observing days and months and seasons and years... Uh, he is talking about observing Jewish holy days straight out of the law of Moses. It wasn't as if the Galatians chose just anybody's rules to follow. Uh, they were following God's rules. They were following the rules in the Bible. They were trying to live their life according to it. But they're doing it in a way, Paul says, that showed that they're not finding their identity in the God of the Bible. They're not finding their identity in His grace but in their own performance in the law. But Paul tells us that means, he tells us elsewhere, that means they're still in their sin. Uh, you know, notice Paul says that the elementary principles by which he means the law of Moses, right? Observing days and months and seasons and years. Uh, the elementary principles, Paul says, were weak and worthless. Weak and worthless. And, and you might stop and think, and should stop and think, wait a minute, how could Paul call the Mosaic law, the God-given Mosaic law, weak and worthless? God gave it to Israel. And now Paul says it's weak and worthless. How is that? Well, the law is weak because it doesn't have the power to change you. And so while the law tells you how to live, it is worthless to make you right with God because it's powerless to enable you to actually live righteously. It's worthless because it's weak. It cannot change you. Uh, Paul had said back in Galatians 3.10 that what this means is, uh, if you're trying to live according to the law as, as a way of being right with God, uh, then you're actually under a curse. Uh, why would that be? Well, because the law, rather than making us good, condemns us for being bad. It's a religion, if, and if religion then is a matter of performance, if it's a tit for tat, we are not only slaves, Paul says, but also under a curse. So, you know, this way of thinking, thinking in terms of justice, thinking in terms of reward and punishment, it's, it, it's most of our default mode of thinking. I, I think all people, whether, whether they believe in God or not, right, live seeking to prove themselves at some point. Um, 
or at least making elaborate excuses or explanations why they don't have to prove themselves. I, I think both of those things show uh, that deep down I feel I, I have something to prove. And deep down that's because I know there is someone to prove it to. We do good, right? We feel good about ourselves. Of course God loves me. I, I'm a great guy after all. Uh, we fail. We feel miserable, right? Uh, we're certain that God could never love me. Look at how horrible I am. Uh, this, is, this is sort of the roller coaster of religion based on performance. But the religion that Paul preached was not based on performance, but based on promise. Paul has been talking about promise for the past chapter. Uh, he talks about the promise made to Abraham and his offspring. He says the law does not make the promise void. He says we're heirs according to promise. He keeps coming back to promise again and again. And the promise of the gospel is that God has laid our failure to perform on his son Jesus, who performed perfectly in our place. And Jesus has fully satisfied justice for us. He obeyed the whole law of God perfectly. He suffered the curse of the law fully. He received the law's punishment on the cross. He received the law's uh, reward in his resurrection. Right? God rewarded him for his perfect life by raising him from the dead. And the gospel is that through faith union with Jesus, through believing in Jesus, our punishment is satisfied in his death and his reward in the resurrection becomes our gift. God gives us Christ's victory through faith in him. Now, now, people who believe this promise, Paul says, enter into an intimate relationship with our Father. Paul says in verse 9, the Galatians had come to know God, or more importantly, he says, they had come to be known by God. And clearly, knowledge here means more than mere knowing, right? More than mere mental assent. Uh, God knows all things. That includes all people. But that's not the same as him knowing you personally and intimately, right? To be known by God is to be loved by him and cared for by him. And Paul says to the Galatians, you have come to be known by God. How did they come into this intimate relationship? Well, that didn't come through their performance. It didn't come through their keeping a list of rules uh, God doesn't love you because uh, you do the right things or believe the right things or say the right things. He doesn't love you because you come to church or read your Bible or pray. And he doesn't love you because you're moral, loving, and kind. Uh, no, this intimate relationship comes through promise. God says to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your descendants and you will be my people. These are two different ways of thinking about life. Does God's favor come through our performance? Does God's, God's favor come through his promise in Christ? The promise is, is the basic principle for Paul of his ministry. It all depends on God's promise, which is fulfilled in Jesus. Well, what about the goal? What about the goal of Paul's ministry? Again, we can look uh, first at his opponents, right? They were preaching performance. Keep the law and God will love you. And what do they hope to get out of it? Verse 17 tells us, verse 17, Paul says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that, that you may make much of them. Uh, it, it makes perfect sense, actually. If your whole view of life is about performance, uh, if life is about what I can do, how much, how well, how fast I can do it, uh, if it is about performance so that God will like me, if it's about performance so that other people will like me, 
uh, then performance and reputation drive everything. Um, and really, reputation drives everything. Performance is just a, a means to that end. God will like me if, right? Uh, people will like me when. And what was the goal of the false teachers in Galatian, uh, Galatia? They wanted the Galatians to make much of them, right? To puff them up, to build them up, to, to praise them, to worship them, to think well of them. And if my relationship with God is based on performance, the, the problem with that is it, it often leaves me, or it almost always leaves me, uncertain. Uh, uncertain. Does God really love me? Have I done enough? Uh, how good is good enough after all? And that uncertainty in our relationship with God often leads to neediness in our relationships with other people. I need you to affirm me because I'm not sure whether God affirms me or not. Uh, I need you to love me because I'm not sure whether God loves me or not. And all my relationships become fundamentally self-serving, right? I may be a really nice guy, the kind of guy you would never say is selfish, but my motive for being nice might be so that I can feel good about myself because you like me, right? You think I'm nice. I'm not sure whether God thinks I'm nice, right? But, but if you think I'm nice, well, maybe I can feel okay about who I am, right? I, have you ever found yourself there on some level where you need the praise of the people around you because you're unsure of the love of God? You're looking for some assurance that you're loved, the goal of the false teachers in Galatia was that the Galatians would make much of them, build them up. What's Paul's goal? Well, in verses 18 and 19, Paul says he's not seeking praise. Rather, he is in anguish. Why is Paul in anguish? What is he trying to, to bring forth? Uh, what, what is he trying to bear in the Galatians' lives? He uses these different images. Is he wrestling with them to get praise from them? Um, no, his goal is Christ in them, he says. Uh, Paul wants to see God's grace take root in their lives. Paul wants to see their union with the resurrected Jesus bear fruit and blossom. And Paul is free to do that because he is secure in the Father's love for him. God loves him, so he doesn't need the Galatians to love him. So he's free to love them. Right? See, we're only free to love people when we no longer need to use them to boost our own ego. And so the, the principle of grace-based ministry is the promise of God. It's the foundation. We have God's love through faith in Christ. It's the gospel. The goal of this ministry is God's grace worked out in the life of other people. That's Paul's goal. Right? It's not for himself. It's for those around him. What about the methods? Uh, again, if ideas have consequences, right? What's, what's sort of the, the ministry model of a religion based on performance versus the ministry model of a religion based on promise? Well, we, we saw in verse 17, uh, the ministry model based on performance. It's one of flattery and exclusion, right? Again, look at verse 17. Uh, Paul says, they, these opponents, these false teachers in Galatia, they make much of you, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Uh, again, this, this makes sense, right? If I'm uh, living on performance 
in order to gain a reputation before God or before others? How do I get you to build me up? How do I get you to tell me how great I am so I can be sure that I have what it takes, right? Well, um, how do I get you to say good things about me so that I can feel good about me? I say good things to you, flattery. They, they want to build you up. They want to puff you up. Uh, they make much of you so that you may make much of them. And Paul doesn't say it's always wrong to have people make much of you. In fact, uh, he, it's not wrong if it's for good ends, he says. You know, praising other people is not always wrong. We, we should do it. Uh, receiving praise from others is not always wrong. Uh, it, it all depends on motives. Uh, flattery to get people to like me, well, that, that's wrong. Uh, building people up and pointing out God's grace at work in their life, that's good. Uh, ministry based on performance, though, resorts to flattery. They, they make much of you, that you may make much of them, uh, but also uh, exclusion. Uh, if your identity is based on performance, you, you ultimately end up denouncing those who don't live up, those who don't perform. Uh, it's a bit unclear from, uh, from whom the Galatians are being shut out. That's the phrase Paul uses. Uh, they want to shut you out. Um, it may be that the teachers are saying something to the effect of, uh, look, we want you to be with us. We want you to be in with us, flattery, uh, but you can't be with us until you keep the law, right? We want you to be in, but first you have to perform. It, it, it's sort of both flattery and exclusion simultaneously, right? Um, uh, the, this is the way every click in the world works, right? It's based on this way of thinking, right? The in crowd is the in crowd because they exclude those who aren't like them. And if you wanna be in with them, you have to become like them. That's religion, that's a worldview, that's a life based on performance. If life is about me being praised because I'm living up, then I must exclude you because you're not. If I want to be praised because of my success, I will end up looking down on you because of your failure. The teachers, though, might have been saying something slightly different. They might have been trying to shut the Galatians off from Paul. Uh, here, uh, the idea is uh, they might have been saying something like, right, we, we want you to be a part of our group. We really do. Uh, we want you to be in with us, to have fellowship with us. But you have to stop hanging out with Paul and his Gentile friends first. You know, they don't follow our rules, right? If you want to be in with us, you need to be out with them. So Paul's method of ministry, though, is completely opposite, right? Rather than flattery and exclusion, uh, Paul's ministry is based on truth-telling and contextualization in the midst of weakness. Um, first, it's based on truth-telling, right? Paul says in verse 13 that he preached the gospel to the Galatians. Verse 16, he says he told them the truth. Uh, and, and now, you know, there are some people who are very good at telling the truth, uh, maybe a little too good, uh, right? Folks who are quick to correct, uh, quick to tell it like it is at any moment, quote, tell it like it is, right? Folks who sometimes seem a bit harsh or uh, not gentle in the way they come across, um, often that comes out of a desire to, to be right. If your religion is based on performance, if the love of God for you is uncertain, we often seek to show that I'm in the right by proving how much I know, right? Look, look I must be in the right. Look at all that I know. Uh, I am right. Um, many of us, though, have the opposite struggle uh, that if our religion is based on performance and we're uncertain of the love of God for us, we need the praise of others to affirm us. Right? So we have trouble telling the truth to people when it's a difficult truth to hear. 
when maybe if I tell you this truth, you're not going to like me as much as you did a moment ago. We need the praise of others. We tell them what we, when we need the praise of others, we tell them what we think they want to hear, right? not the truth that they need to hear. Now, if, if what we've been saying is true, though, the reason that some of us are quick to tell it like it is and the reason that others of us are afraid to speak the truth is actually the same. It's the same uh, root. If you find your identity and performance, you may be quick to prove you're right, to show how much you know, um, or you may, uh, if you rate your per- performance by, the, by your reputation with others, right, anything that might damage that reputation leads to fear. And so I don't want to tell you the truth because you might, you might not like me when I do. But if I find my identity in God's promise, that God's love for me, his blessing to me, is not dependent on performance, but on God's promise in Christ, then, then I don't need to correct you to prove myself. And while the response of others is still important because you care for them, uh, it's no longer crippling if you reject me. It's because it's no longer about uh, me, right? It's now about you. And that becomes uh, much easier to speak the truth in love. Uh, the gospel enables us to speak the truth in love because it frees us from the need to boast and, the need to, and, and fear. And so it enables us to love others. It, it makes this interaction about you and not me. Now, in order to speak the truth, though, uh, in order to preach the gospel, we need to know the gospel, right? What, what the truth according to Scripture is and what it's not. Um, sometimes we, we, that's not always easy for Christians, right? Distinguishing which beliefs they have are from the Bible and which beliefs they have are from culture. You know, often our beliefs about politics and music and clothing and language uh, are, are just as much or more shaped by our culture than they are uh, by Scripture. And it's helpful to try to disentangle scriptural beliefs from cultural beliefs because uh, uh, the one we need to hold on to for dear life, scriptural beliefs, uh, the other we often need to be ready to let go of when the need arises. Uh, which brings us to the next method of Paul's ministry, contextualization. Uh, don't be scared by that word, but... Um, you know, the false teachers at Galatians sought to exclude, right? Uh, they, they're trying to shut people out, whether the Galatians, whether Paul, whatever, they're trying to shut people out. Um, but the opposite of that is not include, um, but, but to contextualize. Uh, it's tempting for us to say, uh, as a church, for example, it's tempting for us to say, you know, we don't, we don't exclude anyone. Everyone's welcome to join us for what we do. But Paul goes further than that. In verse 12, he says, I became as you are. What does Paul mean uh, when he says, I, I, I became as you are. I also have become as you. Uh, Paul means, at least in part, that he set aside his Jewish culture to become like Gentiles in order to reach Gentiles. Um, Paul was willing to do things that were... Uh, not Jewish thing, not, not, not following the Jewish dietary laws or keeping the Jewish cleanliness laws, right, so that he could spend time with Gentiles and be with Gentiles and relate to the Gentiles. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, he says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. 
Uh, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Uh, Paul is not talking about changing the message of the gospel, uh, but his method of ministry was telling the truth, right? That remained the same. Preaching the gospel. People need, need to hear the message of Jesus to be saved. Uh, but there are lots of aspects of our lives that are shaped not by Scripture, but by culture. And that's not necessarily bad, right? Don't, don't hear me saying that, right? The language we speak is cultural, not scriptural, right? There's no, like, here's the biblical language that you need to speak, right? Thankfully, because most of us wouldn't do very well if we had to speak Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. Um, the clothes we wear are cultural, not biblical, right? The Bible doesn't tell us what kinds of clothes to wear, uh, not, not, uh, not in the way that we think. Um, the music we listen to arises out of a particular culture, uh, a particular time, a particular place, a particular style. The Bible doesn't tell us what meter to use, right? Uh, for that matter, what specific words to sing. God desires his truth to be expressed in every language, tongue, tribe, and nation. So it's going to look different in those different languages, tongues, tribes, and nations. Certainly there are things in every culture that are sinful. When Paul says, I became as you are, he doesn't mean he took on their sinful habits. That's not what he means. But he means that he was willing to give up his own cultural preferences in order to reach people from a different culture. The obvious way this happens every day, right, is when missionaries learn a different language to reach people who speak a different language. Um, that's contextualization. Uh, on a very basic level. It shows how obviously necessary it is if you're going to reach people who are different from you. You must learn their language. But that's true not only literally, it's true metaphorically as well. Um, the idea is twofold. On the one hand, you're removing cultural barriers to the gospel, like language barriers. Um, on the other hand, uh, you're helping others to see the truth of the gospel lived out in their own culture, in their own language, so to speak. Helping people understand that the gospel uh, works itself out in people's own language, in their own culture. So this contextualization is, is this willingness that Paul had to cross cultural barriers in order to communicate God's grace to people who differed from him. Uh, the, the, the archetype of this, of course, is the gospel itself, right? Jesus crossed the greatest divide in history. The Creator took on created flesh and bones. Uh, the incarnation was a kind of inculturation, right? He, God becoming a man, not, but not just a generic man, right? He became a Jewish man with a Jewish culture. He became a particular man in a particular time, in a particular place, in a particular culture. Again, we can only cross barriers like this, though, if our religion is not based uh, on performance, but is based on God's promise, there's a temptation, of course, of trying to earn God's love by crossing barriers, right? There's always a temptation of doing ministry to earn God's love. Um, it's one of Satan's great lies, right? God will love you if you serve him like this. But the flip side of that is, is we end up building our own identities, our own sense of righteousness through cultural means, right? I, I can't give this up because I can't change who I am because uh, I'll end up losing my sense of my own righteousness. I'll end up losing my sense of my own standing before God. But again, the gospel speaks to both of those, right? You don't need God's, you don't need to earn God's love through contextualized ministry or any other ministry for that matter. And you don't need to earn God's love through our own culture either. 
And so we're free to, to move in and out of context, in and out of cultures, as Paul obviously felt free to do, right? To the Jew, a Jew. To the Greek, a Greek. To the one who was weak, he became weak. So truth-telling, contextualization, and then weakness. Uh, Paul gives some interesting biographical tidbits here. Uh, he says it was because of a bodily ailment, uh, uh, literally a, a weakness of the flesh, uh, that he preached the gospel to the Galatians at first. He had a condition, he says in verse 14, uh, which uh, was maybe somehow off-putting, some physical condition that was a little off-putting because he says it was a trial to the Galatians, but they didn't scorn or despise him, which seems to suggest that they had reason to, right? Well, why did he mention that? You didn't scorn or despise me, so there must have been some reason they might have because of this condition, because of this ailment. The thing is, there's not enough details to actually recreate what happened. Everybody has a guess right, about what was going on with Paul. Uh, whatever it was, though, he had some kind of physical weakness, some kind of sickness, perhaps, that created an opportunity for him to preach the gospel to the Galatians. Um, maybe he was planning to just pass through town, right? He, an illness forced him to stop, which gave him the opportunity to, to preach. It's like you're driving through town and your car breaks down and then you spend a week there, right, while you're getting it fixed or something. You have an opportunity to talk to people. Um, here's the point, though. Paul's ministry to the Galatians was done in weakness. Uh, Paul didn't stride into town full of himself and his resources and his influence and his swagger and his skills, right? This wasn't just all a part of his well-thought-out plan of how he was going to execute ministry uh, to the region of Galatia. Um, now, now, we have to be careful always about making descriptions of what happened to someone in Scripture into prescriptions for the rest of us. You know, like, like this is now our ministry model. Go get sick somewhere, and then you'll reach the people right around you. Um, and, and yet, uh, Paul's preaching in weakness was not a one-time thing. Uh, in fact, weakness and suffering were a theme in Paul's ministry. We, we read a little bit about that in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, where Paul says we have this ministry in jars of clay. Right? What he means by that is us, who are weak and breakable and frail. Of course, it makes sense, right? Because we bear witness to a crucified Messiah who bore uh, the punishment for our moral failure. If we were serving a conquering king who defeated his enemies with a sword without breaking a sweat while doing his own taxes and raising perfect kids and growing his own organic food and volunteering five nights a week to worthy causes, right? Well, then ministry in strength and self-reliance might make sense. If our foundation is performance, ministry must be another aspect of that. And so we, we say, look at how good I'm doing. Aren't I great, right? If you do what I do, you can become as I am kind of thing. But we serve a crucified Messiah who in his earthly life was defeated and crushed and falsely accused and falsely condemned and tortured and executed. And Christ doesn't say, follow me by implementing these five principles and you can have your best life now just like me. But he does say, take up your cross and follow me. Right? Accept a life of suffering and sacrifice, and through that, I will make myself known to you and to you and through you. See, our ministry to others must not only proclaim a crucified Messiah, it also reflects our crucified Messiah. We take up our cross, right? He, he died in weakness. We minister in weakness. Now, 
as depressing as that might sound at first, uh, it's actually good news. You don't have to have it all together before you can minister grace to other people. In fact, never learn about grace from perfect people because clearly they don't understand it. If when, it, it is when we are weak, right? especially when we can't hide it, like Paul obviously couldn't in this case. Even when our weakness might be a temptation for others to scorn us and despise us, right? that is when Christ's glory will be most fully on display because we have no earthly glory to get in the way. Right? It's clearly not about us because we're a mess, so it must be about Him. Christ's glory is displayed through our weakness, uh, which doesn't mean, though, that we then intentionally do things poorly, hoping that Jesus will be praised through that. Um, no, we, we do our best. Uh, we strive hard to serve Jesus, knowing that even that is ultimately weak, knowing that nothing we can do can save ourselves, knowing that nothing we do can convert others, uh, knowing that nothing we do in and of itself, right, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, can glorify Christ. Right? Only God can save us. Only He can convert other people. Only He can grow others and us in faith in Jesus. At the same time, we're not afraid of our weaknesses, right? So we, we strive hard, we work as best we can, we use our gifts and talents knowing that only if God blesses them will they do anything. But at the same time, we're not afraid of our weaknesses uh, because if our life is not based on performance, we don't need to hide our weaknesses. Uh, we, we don't need to pretend to be stronger than we are. We can be honest about our weaknesses, failures, even our sins, knowing that God will work through that to His glory. And the, the question for us, right, is, is where have we been living that lie, uh, trying to show the world that you're something that you're not, uh, trying to show your fellow Christians that you're something that you're not, trying to show your uh, you know, fellow coworkers that you're something that you're not, or your fellow students that you're something that you're not, trying to put on a show for people so that they will like you, so that you can prove yourself, trying to show yourself to be stronger or smarter or more powerful or wealthier or whatever. Right, trying to prove ourselves in some worldly way. Well, our Father loves us in Jesus. Uh, we, we can fight the urge to put on a show. We can be honest with others about our weakness without fear. We're not going to lose our Father's love. It's not going to change. In fact, God might even use that honesty to bring His grace to others through you, as He did with Paul. All right, how do we respond to this? Um, well, first and most importantly, uh, have you received the message of grace? Uh, do you believe the promises of God in Christ? Have you trusted in, in Jesus for forgiveness, uh, the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of the resurrection? Do you know that your identity is not in your performance, uh, but in Christ's performance? Right? His perfect life, His atoning death, His victorious resurrection, that's why the Father loves us. Not because we've gotten it all right, but because He got it all right. He sent His Son to, to stand in our place. If you don't know those things, if you don't believe those things, I would encourage you right, to trust in Jesus today. Right? So that right now, right today, you can get off that treadmill of performance-based religion of feeling the need to live up, of feeling the need to prove yourself, whether to God or to others. 
You can come into the freedom of resting in the promises of God, which are ours in Jesus. But if you do know that, right, uh, then, then second, well, okay, what are some opportunities you have to speak the truth of God's grace as Paul did? Uh, the truth of God to those around you in your circumstances, whether to other Christians, right, to encourage them, whether to non-Christians, to, to call them to faith in Jesus, um, even when that might be awkward, right, even when you might be rejected. You know, Paul says, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth, right? That, that's real. That's a real possibility, even for us. And yet we're called to speak nonetheless in love. Maybe God is calling you to reach someone very different from you. Maybe he's calling you to go overseas, across continents and languages and cultures and uh, very real, very tangible barriers. And yet whether he's calling you to do that or not, he calls all of us to reach our neighbors, right? to reach out to those around us in love. And how can you move into life mindful of the context, ready to remove obstacles for others to hear the gospel? The third, where are you weak? Right? Do you spend most of your time trying to hide it, trying to manage life so that people don't notice how weak you are? That's exhausting, by the way. Uh, and it sucks up all your time and energy just trying to, trying to hide what's, what really we all know is there because we all are weak. Um, how can you see your weakness not as an obstacle but as an opportunity to show God's grace in Jesus? Uh, where can you step out in, in weakness to proclaim Christ? recognizing that we have this treasure in jars of clay, knowing that it's the power of the gospel, not the power of our winning personalities, right? Not the power of our persuasive words, not the power of our great arguments, not the power of our ministry methods. It's the power of Christ at work through our weakness that draws people to himself. Well, let us go, let us go deep into God's grace. Let us rest in God's promises, and then let us sit back and see what God might do through us to his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we confess that we are weak in so many ways. We are sinful. We are morally weak. We rebel against you, uh, and, and we, are, we are weak in countless other ways. We're human beings, uh, which is a good weakness. We live in dependence and not in our own strength. Father, teach us to embrace that and not run from it. Father, we pray that uh, as we do that, that you would work in us, that you would work through us uh, to your glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.